Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the key themes in markets and a number of UK equities. And to do that, we're kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thanks for being with us again today. Morning, John. Good to be back. Alan, we are looking at markets now, which are showing some form of positivity on the day. We're looking at a FTSE 100 that's currently trading about 1% higher um, at the time that we're recording this. We're, we're looking at it just above that 7,200 level. So that does mark uh, quite a sharp turnaround from the lowest levels that we have seen since the beginning of the Russia invasion of Ukraine. And there's actually been a number of uh, interesting developments uh, within markets that, that are related to, to the conflict this week. And I feel that's really something that we need to touch on here and look at how this could de- could develop in the markets going forward. So, of course, the, you know, the biggest theme in, in markets has been for the last three weeks, uh, the tragedy that's unfolding in Ukraine. But we've just seen uh, in the last week, we've seen the involvement or potential involvement of, of China. They've obviously been reports that Russia approached China for aid, uh, for military aid. Uh, that was quickly refuted by by both sides. Um, so we don't know the exact truth behind that. But that caused a huge amount of volatility, Alan, um, in Chinese equities, which then followed through into European markets. But as we woke up this morning, we, we did see a very strong rally in Chinese equities overnight. And there's a couple of factors here that I want to explore uh, due to you know the interlinking nature of what we're seeing uh, at the moment in markets. Of course, there's potential talks of a ceasefire going on. I wouldn't like to make any predictions on how they would go. Yeah, but neither would I. <laughs> yes, I mean, but it does seem that the market has has taken a stance. Of course, you know that traders like to trade, and any sign of positivity in this conflict is resulting in in upside in markets uh, and of course then we've got this uh, issue of inflation and, and there are uh, reports and comments from certain market participants that we've now seen possibly the peak of inflation this really plays into the oil prices uh, we've seen a, a sharp decline from the highest level in oil so that has suggested to some uh, e- economists and analysts that we have actually seen uh, the highest levels in, in oil, and that's obviously probably going to lead through to the highest levels in inflation, and, and it's going to fall off from here. Um, but in in your view, Alan, I wouldn't wouldn't ask you where you see markets going, but you know, given where we are at this point in time, what would your view be on, on how to sort of position a portfolio if you've been looking at a number of stocks? Maybe, of course, you've had a sell up. There's a dip there that could be bought into. You know, if we start to see a little bit more positivity, is that a buying signal, or do you think this is a real volatile uh, sort of period in markets? And you know, yes, we're up, but you're very likely that we're going to see more downside in the near future. That's a very good question, a very complex question. I mean, you know, of course, we've got the this ongoing issue with 
inflation being driven by uh, by the high energy prices and high oil prices. Um, if, if those have peaked and if these talks are going to lead to something, then then obviously we will see the oil price decline. Uh, I, I'm not so sure about energy prices because, of course, that will, will require a resolution. But I think the the Prime Minister and certainly the uh, EU have stated their intention to wean themselves off Russian uh, energy exports, oil and, and gas, to become less reliant. And I think uh, there are many ways they can do that, of course, through clean energy, uh, North Sea oil is back on the agenda, all of those. So um, in that regard, I, I mean, oil stocks, you know, may come back a bit from those those highs, but we need to find this alternative energy. So, you know, it's uh, it would be a good time perhaps to look at companies engaged in exploring for oil in, um, uh, you know, and whether that's through the controversial ideas of fracking or just the conventional exploration in the North Sea, in the Gulf, um, you know, companies that maybe have assets uh, around the world, uh, in, in you know, in the Western world, um, in stable regimes that, uh, you know, won't suddenly uh, try and trigger you know, or, or, or won't suddenly invade a neighbour like Russia did. Uh, those are the sort of stocks that I'd be looking at. But also, I think, um, you know, maybe financials could be back on the agenda. If there really is a resolution in sight, then, of course, the the uh, some of the restrictions placed on Russia may be lifted. But uh, I imagine given what's, what Putin's done, those those um, sanctions won't be lifted until Putin goes or uh, another uh, another leader is, is installed um, in in, in Russia. And, and also, you know, in regard to China as well, China has, prior to the Winter Olympics, of course, there was that meeting showing uh, Putin and Xi Jinping uh, shaking hands and getting getting it together and, uh, you know, forming a limitless partnership. Um, but I believe China has been very shocked by the way events have, es- events have escalated. But probably more than anything, they've been um, shocked at the cohesion of the West and NATO. And of course, you know, it's really, I think the EU and um, and NATO have come of age in, in this united response. So it may well deter China from any ambitions it has with Taiwan and so on. And indeed, China may well take the decision, well, actually, you know, the West, the West is far stronger than we imagined. They're far more united than we imagined. So we'll throw our hat into the ring uh, with the West rather than with, with Russia. So, of course, there are all these factors that are going to play out. But certainly, if if a ceasefire is on the table, um, uh, then that's great. But uh, uh, regardless of that, you know, we are searching for alternative energy supplies. Um, and to my mind, looking at companies that are engaged in that exploration effort would be the best way to uh, 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 perhaps uh, change and add to your portfolio. Indeed, indeed. So you know, of, of those three themes that I outlined at the beginning of you know potential ceasefire, uh, that's a positive for markets uh, this morning, the potential peak in inflation, of course, that's that's a positive, and that's got a, a direct consequence on on interest rates and what that means going forward. And of course, China um, and what's happening over there with the involvement uh, with Russia, we see a ceasefire that goes away pretty quickly, and that story becomes dead to some extent. So, you know, of those three key themes, the one that I feel is going to persist 
going forward it is, of course, inflation. You know, before yeah. we had yeah. the, the Ukraine crisis, inflation was uh, was an issue. And, you know, with the, the, the invasion of, of Ukraine and, and obviously subsequent sa- uh, sanctions, that's just uh, made that situation a hell of a lot worse. But there is going to need to be a reaction by central banks in the form of interest rates. We have the Federal Reserve later on this evening set to increase rates. We then have tomorrow the Bank of England set to increase rates uh, for their third meeting in a row. So you touched on their financials, Alan. This is a sector that we're going to just drill into now in one particular company. Um, They, particularly the banks, will benefit from higher interest rates. You know, no, no doubt about it that the net interest margins of banks do improve with, with higher uh, interest rates. And, you know, given that a lot of these banks now have um, started to reverse the provisions from COVID, that's going to be uh, a benefit to their profitability as well. So that's they're set for a good year. So let's just uh, delve now into one bank uh Alan, and one that I know that we've discussed on the podcast this year, it's one of your favourite banks. I believe you have a holding in it. I do. Uh, Barclays, down 12% year to date, You know, trading around that 172 level. We've seen highs at around um, sort of 217. I mean, is, is that, you know, those sort of levels there around 217, do you think that's a, a realistic target to be looking at to get back to those highs? Uh, within the next six months? Absolutely. Well, firstly, Barclays has a book value of around £3 per share. So it's trading at a discount to that. But then again, quite a few banks are at present. But Barclays has always differentiated itself from the other high street banks through its investment arm. And it has uh, a, a, a very successful investment arm that, um, uh, you know, during the when it um, announced um, full year results uh, back, back in February, uh, the the, um, the the investment arm really drove the um, the, the the profits and uh, and uh, the income rose to just under twenty two billion for the year. Um, net interest income fell to eight percent, but uh, also, of course, we've had all the problems of the banks over the years with the credit impairment charges, the dark pools, um, a whole load of issues. And Barclays have really tightened their act up in that regard. Um, and um, and they they said their medium ch- uh, term targets are unchanged, including return on equity, tangible equity greater than ten percent. So of course that you know going forward that um, that indicates they're very confident of growth. That was admittedly um, before the invasion of Ukraine, and uh, some of the Russian sanctions on the Russian banks could well be an issue for Barclays going forward. But um, I think Barclays has the freedom. Uh, to manoeuvre uh, uh, far more than the other high street uh, banks uh, uh, with its investment arm, and I think, uh, and I think um, going forward, you know, the, the the investment opportunities that we've been discussing that the war has created, you know, the the shift by economies looking to move away from Russia and source their energy supplies out, um, elsewhere, that creates an opportunity, and I'm pretty damn sure that Barclays. The, the Barclays investment arm will be right at the forefront of seeking out those companies to invest into. Um, so certainly for that reason, I think um, the company, or I think Barclays will continue to deliver strong numbers. Um, the only X factor in that, of course, as I say, is the impact of the Russian uh, financial sanctions on Russia uh, with Barclays. But aside from that, 
um, I see, I do see Barclays returning to those highs, particularly, of course, if interest rates continue to rise. Indeed, indeed. That's going to be a main driver, I feel, of, of banking shares in 2020 as we start to see in, uh, interest rates increase. This dip that we've seen in banking shares caused by the Ukraine crisis could well be a uh, strong buying opportunity. And one thing I would just point out before we move on, you mentioned there the book value mm. of uh, of Barclays. Now, you know, looking back to the to the, to the financial crisis, banks aren't really valued on, on, on earnings because they, they've been non-existent uh, for, for some time due to um, obviously litigation costs and, and, and whatever else. So like, the market's really pivoted to looking at the book value uh, and uh, giving a gauge of the health of their assets as, as the best way of uh, valuing banks. And, and, and as you mentioned there, uh, the, the, the book value of Barclays is about £3. So that equates to a price-to-book uh, ratio of 0.4, uh, which is particularly low for, for a bank, yeah. um, especially when you're considering that Lloyd's and NatWest, very similar business models, of course, as you mentioned there, Barclays has the investment banking side of things, but Lloyd's and NatWest both trade on a multiple of 0.6 as opposed to Barclays 0.4 book value. So mm. that does suggest if they were, if Barclays are going to move back in line with their peers, and I don't see you know any reason why not, there could be substantial upside. I agree, John, for- uh, and I think I think that, that those are those are very good metrics that you've you've highlighted there. But um, as I say, Barclays has the investment arm that the other retail banks don't. I mean, you could you can argue the toss on the quality of the service for retail banking, but Barclays is less about that and more about its investment potential. So certainly, in regard to addressing uh, and closing the the valuation gap in that book value, I think. Uh, Barclays offers great potential right now. Yes, indeed, indeed. I mean, that would suggest, you know, if you're just looking purely on book value, there could be a 50% upside Mm. in Barclays from this level if it was to move up to trade in line with Lloyds and NatWest purely on uh, the price to book um, valuation. But of course, there's other factors at play. So certainly that could be one to play for the interest rate cycle if we're going to see more rate hikes later on this year. And I'm sure this is going to be one that we discuss on the podcast again when we get Barclays' next update. Yeah. So do uh, do stay tuned for that. So, Alan, now let's move on. So a company that presented on the recent UK Investor Magazine Metals and Mining uh, Conference, Sovereign Metals has had a very significant announcement this week, which I feel is due discussion. Um, so they've updated on their Cassia project in Malawi. It's a titanium rutol uh, project. Actually, the uh, the world's largest undeveloped titanium rutol project. Alan, what was the latest instalment of news from them? So uh, yeah, uh, Sovereign Metals have... Um, have uh, uh, taking a significant step forward this week with the titanium rutile project in Malawi, and of course um, the project covers a huge area. It's uh, it, it's um, uh, the, the the area itself is uh, is uh, covers many many acres, and um, uh, the, the the mineral resource estimate provided to date um, covered just forty nine square kilometers of the mineralized envelope. Um, they've now expanded that to 165 square kilometers, um, and 
on the back of on the back of that, the drilling, uh, um, uh, the, the the drilling campaign and the the assay samples that have come back um, will increase both the indicated and inferred categories uh, for uh, for um, the the sovereign metals uh, Cassia uh, titanium rutile project going forward. Um, and Dr. Julius Stevens, the MD, said the results surprised even them. You know, they encountered the highest rutile. Uh, titanium rutile grades uh, to date, but um, the bringing the uh, additional territory into the Cassia um, assets um, does mean they they almost certainly have the single largest rutile depo- uh, titanium rutile deposit in the world. Um, so the mineral resource estimate, the upgraded version, will be out within weeks. Um, but uh, surprising, a very sort of muted reaction to that in the market, which really just highlights the. The value of this asset all the more it's it's a, it's trading at about with a valuation of about 100 million so far but that's against uh, an initial scoping study valuation for the smaller area last year of 816 million dollars so uh, if that resource estimate has upgraded i imagine that the npv8 number will increase with it and could well pass uh, past the billion uh, dollar mark, which would be hugely significant. So you've got a, an asset that's advanced, has had an awful lot of work undertaken already, and, um, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, with a, a valuation of over a billion, potentially, is still trading at just 100 million. So it's hugely undervalued. And of course, um, yeah, on, on the UK Investor Magazine uh, webinar, we saw Sapan, the, uh, the uh, corporate communications uh, officer at uh, sovereign uh, discuss the investment proposition, the applications for the tide for titanium, which are almost limitless, uh, certainly nebulous anyway. And uh, of course, it's used as pigment in paint. It's used in aerospace. It has an application for welding um, and uh, and uh, clean tech energy, all the rest of it. Um, and uh, and of course, the the, um, the the company announced a few weeks ago it had it had signed a memorandum of understanding with Hascor, which is a global welding supplies company uh, or a corporation. Uh, so they will have a, a, an offtake agreement in place there um, already, which is, again, significant in terms of revenue uh, going forward. But certainly, I think the the uh, the, up, the update on Monday is hugely significant. Caught the attention of the financial press as well. There was an article uh, in the in the in the mail. So you know this this company is really starting to gather traction now and make waves. And uh, I would fully expect that the the valuation gap between the MPV eight number and the current market capitalization will be closed uh, as the year progresses. Indeed, indeed, and uh, is a stock that we've be, been looking at here in some detail. And, and you did mention there the valuation. And just as we made the, the comparison with Barclays earlier on with, with Lloyds and NatWest, you know, particularly unique businesses in, in terms of the, um, the place they have in the market and, and, what, and what they're doing, um, with what Sovereign Metals has is not entirely unique, but, you know, there's not many players in that market in a similar way that there's, there's not many major UK banks. So when we've compared sovereign metals to some of their closest peers that are operating natural rutile resources, of course these are these are fairly rare resources on a global basis. 
as you mentioned there, Alan, uh, there's, there's one company in particular, Luca Resources, yep. uh, listed in uh, Australia. If you make comparisons on the projections of the earnings of sovereign metals to a Luca Resources, uh, again, a huge disparity there in the valuation of sovereign metals yep. Yep. Uh, in it being uh, significantly undervalued when you compare it to uh, to its peers. So certainly one yep. that is worth... Yep. Uh, investors taking a taking a look at there, and uh, you know, as you, as you mentioned there, um, you know, Sapan and Sovereign Metals uh, have been quite forthcoming with you know a number of updates, and from what I understand, and as you mentioned there, there are going to be a number of significant updates coming uh, in the uh, the first half of 2022. So do uh, so do keep uh, an eye out for them. So, Alan, now we're going to finish off with a company which, in my view, is the perfect solution to some of the issues that we've seen arise from the Ukrainian uh, situation in terms of the cost of fuel um, having a a significant uh, impact on on household spending. And it's a company, um, smart metering systems, very interesting business. Uh, operating you know, solar power, renewable power, um, energy efficiency. I understand they've had an update uh, very recently, Alan. What does that look like? Well, they have. They they announced their full year results uh, yesterday, John. Um, and this is you know this is significant on a number of levels. Um, uh, firstly, uh, you know to use the gold mining analogy, the companies that make the uh, often make the money. Uh, when during the gold rush, are the people handing out the picks and the shovels? So, um, in that sense, smart metering systems, as the name implies, is the company that provides the smart metering boxes for uh, households up and down the country. And they have steadily progressed. It, it, it's a real cash cow of a business, and they have steadily progressed the business. Uh, it was under the um, leadership of Alan Foy, the CEO who announced his retirement. In fact, uh, he was at the helm for 20 years, so he's stepping down to make way for the uh, chief operating officer, Tim Mortlock, who also has been with the company for that period of time. Um, he's stepping up to the chief executive role. So that's a, that's a, you know, it's a very good sign. You know, that's uh, effective management at work. And obviously the legacy uh, of that is that Alan Foy has been working with Tim Mortlock for, for many years, and Tim has just stepped up now to to take that on so um but uh, over the past few years smart metering has evolved its offering in that it's gone into the uh, the grid battery power market it's um obviously aside from the smart metering boxes um and uh, it's it's um it has developed a national uh, and european wide charging infrastructure um, and it uh, provides uh, it provides services to energy in uh, energy management and also data collection to the commercial sector. But um, it's also developing a pipeline of assets in the in what we call the care pipeline, which is um, w- which uh, includes the of course the electric uh, vehicle recharging stations up and down the UK. It has uh, well it announced uh, with um, w- with the full year results that. Um, it's, it had grown its grid scale battery offering, so this temporary power offering to the grid um, of 620 megawatts, um, up from 267 megawatts in, in the previous financial year. And there's another 600 megawatts of deals already on the way. So this is a, a fast growing element uh, to the business. 
Um, the company has added 900,000 metres, so nearly a million metres, to its existing asset base in 2021. Also grown its electric vehicle points um, and uh, a great set of results. Uh, um, the company uh, uh, grew revenues during the year, um, fully revenues of uh, just under 86 million up from uh, 77 million previously. Uh, EBITDA up to 52 million from 49 million previously. Um, announced an equity raise to purchase uh, more assets uh, in the meter um, area in, uh, in in quarter four last year, 175 million raised. Um, and also full year profits came in ahead of expectations at 18.5 million up from 15 million previously. Um, and of course, after that raise, it's got net cash of 118 million versus 40 million previously. But um, certainly the new CEO, Tim Mortlock, has come in and um, and said the company's seen a very strong start to uh, 2022 with growth in all areas. And of course, uh, with their ESG credentials as well, the company are making uh, progress and are on schedule to hit net zero by 2030, which will, of course, be a key factor for a number of investors. Shares are currently trading at uh, 716 pence, uh, year low of 670p, year high of um, just over uh, £10 or 1038p. Um, but also with this company, you get um, a dividend paid as well. So the dividend yield is currently 4.6%. So, you know, when a shares uh, at or towards lower levels for the year, it's often uh, worth considering picking them up, particularly, obviously, we've just had the full year results. So um, often, uh, you know, in the markets, we see the saying, uh, it's better to travel than to arrive. Of course, uh, there was a build-up in the share price to the results coming out. They're now out, and there may be a drift in the share price. So there may be an opportunity if it drifts closer to year lows to pick the stock up. But certainly, regardless of what uh, energy prices are, um, this company basically has the assets to report the usage. It has the the assets now, the megawatt assets with the grid battery offering to supply the grid if there are shortages. Um, and of course, the EV charging stations up and down the, the country too. So a very strong business model and one that's uh, well proven over the past 20 years and also a very good management team on board too. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of things that jump out at me there, Alan, this company is making acquisitions and winning contracts. You know, that's always good news for a business. Yep. As you mentioned there, at the same time, they're, they're paying quite a substantial dividend as well, which is has increased in line with their policy at uh, 10%. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's huge. You're obviously, underlying profit before tax up 20%. And I mean, with shares, shares bouncing around where they are, certainly worth some consideration there. Uh, maybe even for those uh, investors that aren't sort of uh, really looking for, uh, you know, exposure just to the solar um and, and renewable energy sector, but you know, purely from a, from a dividend play, um, certainly one that that jumps out there. And we shares around seven pound against those year highs of, of ten pounds. Certainly worth some consideration there, Alan. Indeed, indeed, yes, yes, certainly is. And yeah, that ten percent uh, that dividend policy is to increase the dividend by ten percent per annum for the next few years. So, so you know, you could buy now at these levels and um, regardless of what the share price does. But I think given the track record of the share price, look at its performance over five years, uh, you know, you can buy nearer year lows. Um, the share price should hold current values, but you've got that dividend yield to boot. So the main thing is you could even beat inflation. 
That's it. And as you mentioned, they've, they've recently done a capital raise. Plenty of cash in the bank, so I don't see any reason that they're going to change or deviate away from that 10% increase in the dividend each year yep. in the uh, in the near future. So, Alan, let's now just recap on the, on the equities we discussed today. First of all, with Barclays, of course, has a ticker of BARC. It was then Sovereign Metals, which has a ticker of SVML and just then was smart metering systems with a ticker of SMS. Alan, thank you much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, John. Uh, just as a note to listeners, we do have a number of UK Investor Magazine virtual events and soon there will be in-person events. So do keep an eye on the event section on the UK Investor Magazine website uh, for the release dates of those events. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.